Okay, so as we've been discussing, this is a hard chapter for people because it bumps up against their theology. And I'm not trying to change anyone's theology. We take the scriptures as we see it. This is what's here. This is what we go through. We are in Romans chapter 9. I wasn't looking for this. Uh, uh, it came to me. Uh, and we had to turn the page and it was there. So then we have to go through it. And so, so uh, uh, if this bothers your theology, uh, just get over it. It's the word of God. All right, so we're going to go through it and see what it has to say. Uh, I want to start with this, though, we're, just as we've been starting for the last several weeks. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you have, if I have, visions of, of, of the way God should work, and it's different than what's mapped out in the Word of God, guess who's right? All right? So, so God is the one who's right, and, and, uh, and He knows what He's doing. He, he's, he's been doing this a long time. So He knows how to do it. Let's, let's look at, uh, um, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So our faith, it says you've been saved through faith and that. What is that? That's the faith. The faith is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So the faith is not from ourselves. It is God's gift to us. So it's not like, well, this is my faith. It's because I have to... Whatever you have that's good, God gave to you. All right? God gave this to us. <clears throat> How about our will? Look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even our will, even our will is from God. So God is, God is over our faith, God is over our will. And so when it comes to salvation, we will say, will God really go against my will? No, he won't. But he'll have your will. He will. He will change your will to be in confirmation with his will if he wants you saved. He will do that. Uh, will, will, you, you get sa- will, will you get saved by God without your consent? No, but He'll get your consent. In the day of His power, He gets your consent. God is in charge of everything. That we know. He's in charge of everything. So let's look at, at, at uh, Romans. Romans, the same book. Romans chapter 3, verse, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. All right. So, how many times would you like God to repeat it? All right. There is none. There is none righteous. It's not like God looks around and he finds the few that are righteous. There's none righteous. None of us are righteous. There's none. Not even one. Again and again. He says there's not even one. There's none. There's none. There's none. Not even one. Altogether they've, they, they've fallen short. All right. So we, we just have to remember that, that there's not even one. Now turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 10, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. So think about that. For this reason I endure all things, Paul says. 
for the sake of those who are chosen. Some, some translations say for the sake of those who are elect. Chosen or elect depends on what translation you're reading. So for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus and with an eternal glory. So he's working for those who are chosen, who are yet to be saved, so that they may be saved, and he's speaking of them because they are chosen ones, but they are not yet saved. This is what this chapter seems to be speaking about. And so let's start, let's pick this up. We'll overlap a little bit from verse 19 of, of Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 19. So those were just the prelude verses, just, just to get our minds in conformity to where God is. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded would not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Okay, so we'll stop right there. So in 19, remember verse 19, he asks a question as he does throughout this book. He asks a question, and then he himself answers it. In this case, he asks a question, which is, I think, is a very good question. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? If God's in charge of everything, how can he find fault with us? Which is a very good question. And unfortunately, Paul does not answer the question. He just addresses the heart that would even ask such a question. And I'm like, Yikes, I just want to hide because I have the same question too. And he, and he says, you know, God can do what he wants. In verse 19, when you look at it, it says, for who resists his will? Who resists? In his asking this question, it's that nobody can resist his will. That's what's, that's what's supposed then in this question. Who resists his will? Who can, who can resist the will of God? You think my human will is, can somehow outpower God? He says, who resists his will? Then he says, uh, uh, you can't even ask that question. You can't even ask because it's up to God. He can take from the same lump of clay. He can make a vessel for the temple. He can make a vessel for putting in manure from the same lump of clay. He can do that. And then he says in verse 22, it says, it says that, that, uh, um, uh, the last part of it is, well, verse 22, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. This word prepared in some translations is fit. They were fit for destruction. It turns out this is the middle voice, apparently, in Greek. It's the middle voice, meaning they fit themselves. They prepared themselves for destruction. We prepare ourselves for destruction. We don't prepare ourselves for heaven. We prepare ourselves for destruction. But in verse 23, but he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. And this is the passive voice. So in other words, it is God that does this, not we ourselves. 
we fit ourselves for destruction and God takes some and intercedes and fits them for, prepares them beforehand for glory. So, we read in Romans chapter 3 that there is none that is good. No, not even one. Not a single one of us is good. So it's not like God looks around for the few that are good and selects those. No, this is all apart from human merit. That's what he, he told us uh, in, in, in verse 12 of this chapter. When he asked this question, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. The only way you could ask this question is if he is teaching that God intercedes upon the life apart from human merit. So, the question is, how do we view this thing? Because we're always trying to view things humanly in the sense of fairness. I'm telling you that humans don't know how to be fair. You think you know how to be fair. We think we know how to be fair, but we don't know how to be fair. It's a very complex problem in the world to try to be fair to everyone. Uh, so what happens is everyone is destined for hell. Everyone. Everyone is destined to hell, but we're not predestined there. Predestination is only spoken of in light of salvation, in light of going to heaven. There's no double predestination. Never speaks of predestination in the sense of going to hell, but everyone is on that path. And if God did not intercede and pick out a few, there would be nobody in glory with him. Nobody. Everyone is destined for hell, and God intercedes on the lives of people. He gets their will to go in conformity to his will, he gets their consent to go in conformity to his will. And he picks them out and he selects them. And God does this. That seems to be what this chapter is teaching. Now, if you want to look at another chapter, we'll get there another time. But this is what's before us and this is what this chapter is teaching. So if it bothers us, remember, his will is better than ours. It's higher than, as far as the heavens are above the earth. So it's like, it, it, it's like he understands his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, we look at a worm, we say, how deep are your thoughts, O worm? You know, but their thoughts are not very deep compared to our thoughts. This is like with God. His thoughts are higher than, than our thoughts. It says they're higher. And, and, uh, so this is what God does. He intercedes in this way. Think about fairness. How, how, how would you do fairness? Why is it that somebody, say, could be born into a fine Christian home, say, in, in South Carolina? Beautiful parents who love the Lord and they're teaching them the Bible all day. Is it fair that another child is born to an ISIS bride who, against her will, was thrown into to marriage with an ISIS soldier in the middle of some place in the Middle East? Is it fair that that child... Or would you... It doesn't appear fair to us. I mean, right? It's not... One person's got a whole lot more opportunity of hearing about God than the other. And and uh, um, and then you say, you, you know, how do you balance all this? Well, if I were God, I'd work it out. How would you work it out? Tell me. How would you work it out? Would you say that, 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 that people in countries that, that don't have a whole lot of witness can't have births? You know, what would you do? You know, so you try to figure this thing out. Once I had a, 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 a uh, office mate, and it was just pouring rain, pouring rain. And he said, he, said, he was saying... Uh, um, you know, this weather's crazy. I said, well, you know, ultimately God's in control. He'll, he'll figure this out. He probably knows what he's doing. He's been doing it a long time. And he says, well, he's not doing too good of a job of it right now. And I'm thinking, if we had control of the weather just for like one week, it'd be, the, the whole world would be destroyed. <clears throat> I mean, he knows what he's doing. 
And, and so, you, you know, there, there, this, this is what's happening. He knows what he's doing. This is what this chapter is teaching. And then he says in verse 24, I've been talking about Jews, this whole thing. I've been talking about the children of Israel. We started out talking about Abraham and then these offspring. And it's clear that it's not descendancy alone. For the Jews, it was physical descendancy and faith. So it's called the Israel of God, is what, what Paul calls it in the book of Galatians. So you have all of Israel, then you have the remnant, as it talks about in this chapter, or the Israel of faith, the Israel of God, it says. So, so he's talking about this remnant, but then he says, it's the same thing for the Gentiles. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's the same thing for the Gentiles. Let me just... Um, so it's the same thing for the Gentiles here that, that uh, um, he's going to pull some out. And in fact, he pulls much more percentage-wise out of the Gentiles than he does out of the Jews. As I told you, if you look at Messianic Jews today, they're about 1% of the total Jews. It's about 150,000 Messianic Jews, those who believe Jesus is the Messiah. And there's no other way to heaven. There's just no other way. You can talk about good people, bad. It doesn't matter. There's no other way without Jesus. <clears throat> So, so there's 150,000 Messianic Jews, those who believe Jesus is their Messiah. There's 15 million Jews in the world, so that's 1%. There's much more than 1% of Gentiles when you look at it. You know, 1%, 1% of the world population would be, would be, uh, 78 million. I mean, you, you, you've got, you've got that much, that much just, just probably in, in China of Christians today. It's just exploded in China. So, so uh, um, uh, the numbers that he's taken from the Gentiles, so if you think Gentiles have been left out, no. The probability of coming to the Lord Jesus from a Gentile background is actually much higher if you just look at it percentage-wise. And for that, you should be giving many thanks. And, and, and uh, uh, so, so if you think, you know, Jews, Jews have some special, you know, something or another, uh, Gentiles have it pretty special. From my view as a Jew, Gentiles have it pretty special. Because there's a whole lot of them that are called. And so he says it's for the Gentiles also. Now let's read from verse 25 of Romans chapter 9. As he says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not my beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. So he's making the point in verse 24, it's Gentiles as well. So what does he do? He takes a verse out of Hosea. He quotes Hosea 3.23 and Hosea 1.10 in that order. And what's happening in Hosea? Hosea, he is talking about the Israelites that had strayed from the Lord and he's now calling them not his people. And now all of a sudden, he is now calling them his people. Because they had come back. He says they had been called, not my people, but now they have come back, and he's calling them my people. That was the literal, that was the literal fulfillment of this prophecy in Hosea. What he did with Israel. But this is what's talked about, and we talked about this in the chronological life of Jesus, where you have a literal application of a prophecy. The literal application of this prophecy in, in Hosea was toward the Jewish people, toward the Israel, people of Israel. That they went astray, they came back. The application of it, this is what's called literal plus application. The application of this verse is, let's apply it to the Gentiles. This is an example where this verse can also be applied to the Gentiles. The literal 
prophecy fulfillment was Israel coming back. Is Israel coming back? The application of it is where you have Gentiles that were afar off. He's calling them back. So he's applying the same verse to them. This is exactly what we do in the scriptures. We take a verse in the scriptures that may be a very specific prophecy for something. And you think, well, that's a prophecy for me. Right here in West University Baptist Church, that's what that verse meant. That's for me. Well, that's the application of it. There's the application of that verse. You can apply it, and it's very common to apply that verse, to apply that verse to, to our lives, to take verses from this book and apply it to our lives. You can't just say, well, that verse was particularly for those people in those times. Okay. But the application of that verse is very much here. The application, you can apply that verse in this way. That verse can be applied to your life. This is what we do. We take verses of Scripture and we apply it to our lives. That's what we do. And and he's, he's doing it. So this is what's called literal plus application. This is the application of it. And we have the Word of God, Paul himself doing it, taking verses from the Scripture and applying it in a different situation. That's what we do with our lives with the Scriptures itself. Because, you, you know, think of poor Job. Job goes through all of this and here you are in this church being blessed by this. And imagine if God had tried to explain to Job, well, you're going through this because there's going to be somebody in the future that's going to be at West University Baptist Church that's going to be blessed by this. Now, God's got to explain to Job West University Baptist Church. So he starts with West. West he he can deal with because, remember, Job is the greatest man of the East. So West he understands. Now he's got to explain university. How are you going to explain university to Job? How do you do this? Now, Baptist... Try explaining Baptist to Job. <clears throat> you know, so, so there's things that we don't understand about verses that, that you say, well God, I, I don't quite understand this. You've got to explain it. And God's like, my thoughts are so higher. It's like you're trying to explain to a worm. You don't get it. You won't get it. In time, when you, when you see his face, then you'll get it. Right now, you just don't get it. There will be a time where you'll understand. Then you'll understand. That's what he's talking about. And then he says in verse 27 of Romans chapter 9, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. It's the remnant that will be saved. And so, so he, he says, he says here again, it is the remnant that will be saved among Israel. For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So he says, now he goes back to Israel. He says, Israel is going to be like the sand of the seashore. But only the remnant, only the remnant among them will be saved. You think Israel is blessed as a nation? They are highly blessed. And Paul told us at the beginning of this chapter all that they had going for them. And all that they have. But he says it's only the remnant, only the Israel of God is going to be saved. Remember, the remnant is just a little bit. It's a little bit left over. And uh, uh, it's only the remnant that's going to be saved. And it says then in, in uh, uh, verse 28, The Lord will execute His word on the earth. Boom! There it is. The Lord is going to execute His word. Once His word goes forth, it has to happen. Remember, the entire earth... The entire world, the entire universe conforms to the Word of God. 
in science, we chase the universe trying to explain it. God's word defines the universe. Here he says it. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth. His word, it's everything conforms to his word. He is over everything. His word is over everything. And that's why I love this book. I love the word of God. Because the world has to conform to this. People say, aren't you worried about all of this stuff going on in the world and in the economy? And and a a guy contacted me just this past week. He was so worried about UFOs. And and he was, aren't you worried about this? And I'm like, not at all. Not at all. Because I've already read the end of the book. I know how it's going to be. And it's not going to be UFOs that are going to take us out. I know how it's going to be. I've already read. So I'm very much at peace. You you talk about the economy and the supply chain and everything. I'm very much at peace. Because I've already read the end of the book. I know how it's going to be. It brings me great peace because the world is going to conform to the word of, of God. And then he says, and just like Isaiah foretold. So he quotes, again, he's having this quote fest. So in verse 27, he quotes Isaiah 10.22, and then Isaiah 10.23. And now in verse 29, he quotes Isaiah, uh, uh, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9, and then Deuteronomy 29 verse, uh, verse 23. So he says, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have resembled Gomorrah. It is because of the remnant that that Israel was not destroyed. They would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, all dead, had it not been for the remnant. Israel has survived because of the remnant. And they survive today because of the remnant. The only reason that Israel survives today is because of the Messianic Jews that live there in Israel. That's why they survive. So unlike what the rabbis tell me, that people like me are going to be the downfall of Israel because we pull them to the Messiah, this Jesus of yours. No, it's actually just the reverse. It's Israel is sustained because of people like me. <clears throat> and so Orthodox Jews will always like, like to engage with me because they think they're going to bring me back under the law. That is to them, the, 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 that's their mission, to bring me back under the law. And then after we go through a few volleys and I don't change, they say, oh, well, you're worse than Hitler. This has been told to me many times, you're worse than Hitler. <clears throat> and the rationale for that is at least Hitler just killed the body. You're going to send their bodies to hell forever. <clears throat> so that, that's why they tell me this. But actually it's just the reverse. It's the re- because of the remnant they're spared. It's because of the remnant. And it's the same among the Gentiles. It's because of believers that the world is not destroyed. It's because of the believers. This is what he's saying. So you say, well, well, how does God, <clears throat> how does God make His selection? How does He do this? How is God gonna gonna make His selection? Well, let's let's look at at. Uh, um, he tells us a little bit about how He makes His selection. How does God select? So let's turn to First Corinthians chapter one. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter one, and we're gonna look at verse eighteen onward. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I mean, isn't that the truth? I mean, sometimes we, we tell the people of the world cannot fathom why we, we believe this, this, what's in their mind, silliness. To those who are perishing, this is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, <clears throat> this is the power of the God. This is the greatest thing. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren. So now he's going to tell us how he makes selection. How does he call or elect people? Consider your calling. Use yourself as an example that he says. For consider your calling in verse 26 of, of, of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God and, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and, and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How does God make a selection? Primarily from among the weak. So most of us are going to have to say, Lord, you're right. <laughs> you chose me because I'm weak. He chooses from the weak. That's what he says. He says, consider your calling. Here's the example. I mean, just look at yourself, he says. He says, you want to know how I choose in verse 26? Look at yourself. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. So maybe there is some nobility in here, but I bet most of you don't come from nobility. I bet there's no children of presidents in here. No children of... of, of uh, you know, the aristocracy in, in England here. There's not many here. Not many among us are coming from, from that sort of background. Not many of you were particularly mighty. That's what it says. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So you want to know how he makes a selection? He makes a selection among the foolish. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. He chooses us because we're the weak of the world. We think we're really something. We're not. We were selected because we are the weak of the world. That's what he says. I've chosen the weak from the world. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world. The base things, that means like in the basement, things at the bottom. The base things of the world. Those are the ones that I've chosen. You want to know how God makes a selection? He goes to the base things of the world. He goes to the underdog. He goes to the struggling. He goes to the weak. And that's why the Romans said of this new religion, Christianity, that it is a religion for women and for slaves. And that's what caused it to absolutely explode in its numbers. Because they took care of the poor and the infirmed. Something that Israel was supposed to have been doing. The church took care of the poor and the infirmed, and they grew like crazy. Because we come from among the poor and the infirmed. That's what the church is made out of. And that's why we should never miss an opportunity.
to share with those. And then he says, he says, uh, um, uh, he, and he's also chosen the despised. God, the things of the world, the, the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. Because we are despised, because we are despised by the world, that's why he's chosen us. God is so good to us. He takes the runt of the litter. He takes us. He takes the weak ones. And he says, I'm going to work with them to show the world what I can do with the weak. So if you feel like, you know, I'm not particularly strong, there you go. That's why you were enlisted right here. That's why he chose you. That's why you were elected. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus becomes our wisdom. Jesus is the one who takes us and and elevates us. As Hannah cried out, and as, as Mary cried out, quoting from Hannah in the Old Testament, that God has taken the poor from among the dung heap and set us to sit with nobles. Christ becomes to us our wisdom. If you have any wisdom, it is not from yourself, it is from Jesus. It is from Jesus, it is His wisdom. He's become to us righteousness. He's made us right. He's become to us sanctification and redemption. Remember we covered righteousness in the first eight chapters of this book. Then we, 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 uh, first seven chapters. Then we covered sanctification in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the eighth chapter. And then redemption. Which is this, this whole redemption thing and then this glorification. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything we have that's good comes from the Lord. And you say then, is there no human responsibility? Yes, there's human responsibility. And that's written in verse 30 of Romans chapter 9. Now we get to human responsibility, the exercise of responsibility. In chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? So remember, when he asks this question, he's about to answer it himself. Because he's writing. This is not a dialogue. He's writing a letter. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay a stone, uh, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. <clears throat> so, he says, the Gentiles, they weren't pursuing righteousness, but they found it because they found it by faith. These were the very weak, and predominantly among the weak. He says there were not many noble. So it doesn't mean, he doesn't say that there were none noble. Yes, there were some kings that came, but there were not many. There were not many noble. He says they couldn't even fathom getting their, their righteousness by doing things. They didn't know how to do it. So they received it by faith. But Israel couldn't fathom doing this strictly by faith. They had, they had thousands upon thousands of Mishnaic laws. Remember how these came in. When they were taken into captivity in the first diaspora, they realized that they had really blown it. And then what happened was, was, uh, when they came back, they said, we really blew it. We're just going to have to somehow how fix this so they put rules around every one of those 613 commandments of Moses they put rules around it so the rule of the sabbath you shall observe the sabbath has over 1000 regulations around it 
And you want to try to fulfill those. And God says, you got it wrong. And in their trying to fulfill those, they could not imagine that this could come just by believing in a Messiah. And so they rejected him to this day. To this day. And so what God says in verse 32, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it was written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What is a stone of stumbling? It's a stone that's right in front of your face, and you don't see it. You know, it can't be a stone far off. It's a stone right in front of your face. And how'd that stone get there? It says, I lay in Zion. I lay it. God put that stone in front of them. Where did Jesus appear? In Zion. Right there in front of their face. He put it right there. He wasn't, you know, this this fictitious person far off. He put it right there in their face. I lay in Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He, he is so near to you, you fell right over him. And he became your rock of offense. You were like, that rock, I mean, I hate that rock. Keep falling right over that rock. Becomes a rock of offense. Who put that rock there? We know who put the rock there now. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He who believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. I am telling you, if you will follow Jesus, you will not be disappointed. It will not be easy. People will say things about you. You know, but the the great thing about following Jesus is that when people say things about you, you can go back to Jesus and see what he says about you. And it calms your heart. It just calms your heart. People say, why do you follow this foolishness? You're too smart for this. And it just calms your heart to see what Jesus has to say about us. He says, he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And we are commanded to believe. For in 1 John John 3, verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We are commanded to believe in him. And it's not just us. Everybody is commanded to believe in him. It's a commandment. We are commanded to believe. We're commanded to believe? Yes, we are commanded to believe. That means that God has given us the ability to carry that out. He will not give us a command that that's impossible for us to carry out. He will not do that. With the commandment, he gives us the ability to fulfill it. And we are commanded to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We are commanded. It is a commandment. And let me just say, this whole thing, this whole thing of of um, election will make you a better evangelist. When I started to meditate on this, I became a much better evangelist because I knew there are gobs of people that are going to be saved and have to be saved. It says, they shall come in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I got this whole list of verses right down here. I mean, that just talk about this thing. So these ones on the bottom. They shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and sit at the table of the kingdom, at the kingdom of God. They shall come. Remember, when the Bible says it shall happen, it will happen, it has to happen. It can't not happen. It has to conform. They shall come. And when I'm witnessing to somebody, I'm just going through these verses in my mind. They shall come. And I'm like, you will be saved. Right now, you will be saved. And they get saved. 
It makes you a better evangelist. And this is why people like George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon took hold of this stuff. Because it makes you better. It makes you stronger in this. When it, when it says that, Jonah 2.9, salvation is from the Lord. It's, it's not just from my own will. The Bible says salvation is from the Lord. The Lord does this. And, 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 uh, and so when we, when we see this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, behold, today, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And I'm just go through these verses in my mind as I'm sharing with people. You're gonna come in. You think you're not gonna be saved. You're gonna be saved today. This is what the Bible says. And it, it, because there's all these people that are going to be coming into the kingdom of God. It makes you a better evangelist. In Psalm 115 verse 3, God does whatever He pleases. God does whatever He pleases. So this person thinks, you, you think you can resist God's will? No, He does whatever He pleases and He gets your will to be in conformity with His will. God does whatever He pleases. It makes you a better evangelist. When you realize that it's God who's in control. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth of this. And Lord, I pray that you pour out grace upon grace upon these young people. That they would take hold of your word. And that they would believe it. And that you would make them better evangelists. To know that God does whatever He pleases, that our will comes from Him, that our faith comes from Him, that everything bows to Your Word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be God Most High. For the glory of Jesus and in His name. Amen.